uh, I want to begin by praying. Um, so pray with me. Lord, as you cleansed the lips of your prophet Isaiah with a burning coal, I ask that you would touch my lips with the fire of your spirit and enable me to proclaim your words. Open our ears, Lord, to hear your words, to hear you, and open our eyes to see you, and open our hearts to respond to you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, remember, um, remember those times when you gazed a wonderful painting, um, hear beautiful music, see beautiful colors of a sunset, or a newborn beautiful baby. Uh, and most of you know, I'm about to be a grandmother. I mean, actually, I already am a grandmother because the baby is alive. It's just that like she hasn't come out yet, but she's in position, she's head down and on her way out. Our due date is February 14th. So it's like, keep us all in prayer. Um, but you all know that feeling, right? Of awe, uh, that sense of awe that's caused by like something grand and powerful. Um, the Wall Street Journal wrote about the importance of awe in our lives. I never really thought about that before. I don't know if you guys have, but the importance of awe and all the things that awe does for us. Um, in the journal, the studies reported that the feeling of awe and the experiences that expi not expire awe, but inspire awe, are beneficial to us in so many ways, from stronger health to better relationships, improved relationships. The article claims that these experiences make us more generous, humble, empathetic, trusting, and it even helps us to battle depression. Elizabeth Bernstein, a sociology professor at Barnard writes, Awe is an emotional response to something vast. It challenges and it expands our way of seeing the world. The researchers conclude that awe minimizes our individual identity and attunes us to things much bigger than ourselves. Question. When was the last time you are in awe of God. For me, I confess, um, up until last week, it's been a long time, <laughs> a long time since I was in awe of God. Um, through my study for our passage today in Luke 5, 1 through 11, uh, my awe of God returned. Hmm. When I read how Peter and his disciples were awestruck by Jesus and followed him, I felt conviction. 
And I felt this longing in my heart to be awestruck by Jesus again. I've been awestruck by Jesus before, um, but I'd lost my awe of God and didn't even realize it. The loss of awe is where the problem lies, author Pastor Paul Tripp states. He says, I'm convinced that, convinced that many of us live and do ministry day after day without any awe whatsoever. We live days, maybe even weeks, uh, without wonder and amazement. What should stun us doesn't stun us anymore. What should leave us in silent, amazed worship has it, it's become so familiar, it, it barely gets our attention. And especially in the clutter of all these things that command our attention. Now, Tripp makes a valid point. I mean, think about your own lives, right? Uh, your responsibilities, the challenges of work and school and children, raising children, taking care of yourselves, pets, plants, you name it. And uh, it's overwhelming. You know, the daily grind, you know, we're just exhausted and overwhelmed and oftentimes too discouraged to experience awe. Then we add to that the problem of a, famili a familiarity. It's ironic. I mean, we can be soaking in scripture. We could be uh, praying every day aware of God's presence, and yet as comforting and strengthening as these things are, they can still become commonplace and cause us to lose our awe of God. Tripp was inspired to write on this topic because of an address uh, a Princeton professor and theologian B.B. Warfield made um, to his students, and this was 1911, but it is still valid for today. He warns the great danger of the theological student lies precisely in his constant contact with divine things. They come to seem common to him because they're customary. Now what Warfield warns here, I experienced my constant contact with the divine as a, a current uh, seminary student and pastor of Hope Hell's Kitchen Church. God and things of God had become common to me because they're customary. Warfare and I are not saying now, you know, don't cut out your, con you know, cut down on your contact with God. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're saying as we continue to be in contact with God and his work, we need to be alert to this problem. The problem of God becoming common because he's customary to us. You know, when I read this quote by uh, Fred Smith from Leadership Journal this week, my heart broke as a pastor. Smith said, quote, and all for the composer, God, is necessary before a pastor can really understand their score, the Bible. This hit me hard. 
realizing my loss of God, all for God and its effect on my scripture understanding, my preaching, just shattered me. And through my remorse and my tears, I asked God's forgiveness and help to regain my awe of him. And he did help me regain it through this sermon. And he forgave me because that's what he does. You know? God's forgiveness is one of his most beautiful and awe-inspiring gifts. And out of great love for us, he doesn't condemn us. He does hold his love from us when we lose all of him. But he convicts us. He corrects us. And when we're remorseful and we turn from our errors to him and do what he says, what he asks, and ask forgiveness, he forgives us. He's faithful to do that. I'm forgiven. And now, as your pastor, I ask you for forgiveness. I ask you for forgiveness for allowing myself to lose the awe of God. I take my shepherding responsibility seriously because of my love for God and my, my love for you. And even you, Everton, even though I just met you. <laughs> that's why I'm asking your forgiveness and that's why I'm giving this message today. My brothers and my sisters, Be warned. Be warned. Be warned. The danger of losing all of God is real. And it's not just reserved for pastors and uh, ministry leaders and seminary students. All followers of Christ are susceptible. You are susceptible. You are not immune to losing the awe of God. When we become familiar with anything, we know this, including our faith in God, at some point it becomes commonplace, right? Like in our relations with people, our spouses or our partners, you know, in the beginning, it's all exciting, right? And ah, and then with time and familiarity, it's like, where did all the love all go? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> start taking each other for granted and we even do it with God when we lose all of him you know uh, I think there'd be fewer separations and divorces if spouses and partners tried as hard uh, to keep one another as they did to get one another you know what I mean like, mm -hmm. stop trying uh, but back to our relationship with God and the importance of all. We have to maintain balance. You know, as we continue to grow in our relationship with God 
and our knowledge of him and loving him, we get closer, right? We get closer to him, we get cozy, we get comfy and familiar. His love surrounds us, it's easy. He surrounds us with grace and mercy. He draws us with cords of love into his warm embrace. But at the same time, we, we must not lose our awe of him. That strong sense of, of wonder, amazement, and reverence. God's holiness and sovereignty causes us to bow down before him. I mean, this is the person who, with a simple word, created the universe. Hello. Think about that for a moment. He created the universe. Guys, think about it for a moment. Sovereign Lord, loving Father, that's the tension that we need to balance. The tension of loving God our Father and fearing him as our sovereign Lord. And by fear, I don't mean being like the kind of fear that you're afraid of torture or something. I mean an awe kind of fear, right? A fear that has tremendous respect for the almighty power of God. Now listen to God's words for a moment. In Psalm 33, 8, God says, Let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. Hebrews 12, 28. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worship, worshiping him with holy fear and awe. And these scriptures and the life experiences that We've been looking at show us why we need to have an awe of God. He tells us to worship him in awe, and it pleases. At the start of this message, we looked at some benefits of all, uh, from stronger health to improved relationships. And awe keeps our egos in check. But there's another significant reason that we need awe of God. And once we examine that, we're going to look at how to maintain awe of God. So in our scripture today that Carrie read so beautifully, thank you, Carrie. Luke 5, 1 through 11, Simon Peter and his disciples left everything and followed Jesus. Now on the surface, that seems crazy. I mean, they left their means of livelihood, their boats, and a humongous amount of fish that almost sunk two boats. Why in the world would they do that? Let's examine uh, chapter 5, verses 4 through 11 for some answers on this. Beginning in, in verse four, 
When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nuts down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, the nets began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners uh, from the other boats, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus, and he said, oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were all amazed also. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Why did they leave everything and follow Jesus? Well, there's Jesus's prophetic call. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. But was it just that call that caused them to leave everything and follow Jesus? I don't think so. It's just one factor. I'm thinking, you know, like if someone comes up to you, right, and says, leave your property, leave your, um, your car, leave your house, leave everything, come follow me. From now on, you're going to be fishing for people. Would you go with them? Especially in New York City. <laughs> Um, you never know who you're talking to in your city. But no, you wouldn't. But then, on the other hand, you know, if the person calling displays a power that identifies him as the son of God, and you see the same person showing compassion and healing people, and even healed your own mother-in-law, which is what Jesus did, or Peter's mother-in-law in, in chapter four of Luke. Oh man, we might be eager to follow this person, which is what they did. I think that when Jesus recognized Jesus's power, he was so overcome with a deep sense of fear and awe that it brought him to his knees. And remember all we were talking about, it's like being inspired by some, something grand and powerful. And so Peter, next to Jesus, and Jesus' power felt so small, insignificant, and powerful. He was awestruck, 
full of awe for Jesus and his power. And it's the being awestruck that prompted him to leave everything, his livelihood, and follow Jesus. And for the same reason, we need to be awestruck with Jesus. So when Jesus calls us to some pretty radical and scary things, we'll follow because we're awestruck. And Jesus' words to Peter are his words to us today. Do not be afraid. For now, from now on, you will be fishing for people. Not catch them to kill them, but catch them to rescue them and offer new life. Last week, Pastor Florida asked us this question. Hope Hell's Kitchen, will you accept that you have been consecrated by God for his purposes? Today, I ask, Hope Hell's Kitchen, Hope Hell's Kitchen, Will you follow Jesus in his mission to house kitchen? Hope Hell's Kitchen. Will you follow Jesus in his mission to house kitchen? Jesus fill us with awe to follow. Him like Peter and his disciples, to make sacrifices, to uh, leave things behind us to follow you if need be. Give up things for your greater purposes, the purposes for which you consecrated us for. Brothers and sisters, we need the awe of God. Maintaining our awe of God is crucial. How do we do that? Well, we have to be alert. And I suggest we do a spiritual checkup, kind of like, you know, how we go to the doctors and we get a physical checkup. Well, we could do a, a spiritual checkup and we can do it right now, a quick one, okay? So I'm gonna use Warfield's four test questions. Are you ready? Yeah. Number one, are you experiencing awestruck wonder of God? Are you experiencing awestruck wonder of God? Number two, are you experiencing all-consuming reverence of God? Are you experiencing all-consuming reverence of God? Number three. Are you experiencing deep gratitude? 
for God. Are you experiencing deep gratitude for God? If you answered yes to all three of the questions, then you're, ma you're maintaining your awe of God. But if you lack any of these and know was an answer to these questions, then um, maybe God has become or is becoming commonplace. And maybe we're taking God for granted. Another symptom that um, of this loss of, of awe of God is that the affections that uh, we direct towards God alone are now directed someplace else, like maybe to another person that we adore and may be addicted to. Another symptom has to do with hope. Um, your hope that rests solely in God's plans for you and power has been placed by your own heart in something else, like your own ability to make money. If you're experiencing any of these symptoms, then you need to ask Jesus, our great physician, to heal us of this. Lord, please replace my shallow, commonplace attitude about you and replace it with awe of you. Make me awestruck, awestruck. Make us awestruck. How are we doing on our checkup, guys? <laughs> One last question. Question number four. Have you lost energy and enthusiasm for God's mission? If your answer is yes, this is a huge sign that you're losing or have lost your awe of God. For awe of God fuels energy and enthusiasm for God and for his mission. So what do we do about this problem? This problem of losing awe of God. Prayer is a key. Asking God to help us. But there's another thing we can do. And it's to gaze. Gaze on Jesus. Really, really see him. No glance, you know, a quick look, but a gaze. A long look at Jesus. Gazing on God, really seeing his power and his beauty inspires our awe of God. In Drew Dyke's book, Yawning at Tigers, he describes a young man struggling with whether to go through with an arranged marriage. In his home country, arranged marriages were the norm. But after living in America, he was having second thoughts about this, um, adhering to this ancient custom, especially since he'd never met or seen his wife-to-be. Um, but still, when she flew into the airport, he dutifully waited for her. Um, holding flowers in his hand, but with a gloomy expression um, on his face. But wow, <laughs> when she stepped through the terminal, everything changed. She was beautiful. 
he felt like he hit the jackpot. And he just like, he was like, yeah, I love this. And, and the, the gloomy face went away. It was full of joy. He had energy. Um, all of a sudden, you know, he's energized. What changed? It was seeing her, seeing her. You know, once we, uh, often we serve God without seeing. You know, we serve out of obligation with no delight in it. We drag ourselves to church, you know, force ourselves to serve others because that's what we're supposed to do. And then um, like the guy at the airport, we grudgingly hold flowers for God. And we're trying to live these holy lives, right? Um, because we're supposed to, but it's burdensome and it's joyless and with no awe. But when we get a vision of God, you know, like who he really is, we become awestruck. Suddenly we're energized to do God's mission. Um, once we see God's power, his glory, his beauty, um, we're eager to follow him. You know, like Peter and his crew. And once we grasp God's great love for us, serving is no longer a duty. It's a joy. It starts with really seeing God, gazing on. And this is a lifetime thing, right? Because it's off and on. You know, we, we really get him. We grasp it. We see it. We're on fire. And then over, the, over time, you know, with life, it fizzles out. And so it's kind of like we have to keep coming in you know, like a filling station or something mm. to keep getting filled. And it's okay. God doesn't want us to feel condemned. Mm. I mean, it's just natural. And that's something that I hope, you know, nobody here or online is feeling any kind of condemnation because that is not God. Mm. God does not condemn his children. He may be convicting and correcting and just say, come on, come back. Come on, can we get your attention? You know, that's all. Here's a powerful image of God to gaze on right now uh, from David McCullough's book, Trivialization of God. In spite of his best efforts, Dr. Richard Seltzer had to cut a nerve in a young woman's cheek in order to cut out a tumor. The result was that her mouth was permanently disfigured. Dr. Seltzer was uncertain about how her husband would respond to this change. But he was encouraged when the, the young man came in. He was warm. He was caring to his wife, even joking about her new cute look. But when he saw what happened next, Dr. Seltzer's encouragement became awful. The young husband bent down towards his wife twisted his lips to fit her crooked mouth and gently kissed her. Philippians 2, 7 tells us that Jesus made himself nothing, took the very nature of a servant, made in human likeness. And in doing this, it's like God bent down, twisted his lips, and with grace and love through Jesus Christ, he kissed this crooked, 
crooked lips of a world disfigured by sin and despair. Gazing at this image of God, how can we not stand in awe? Gazing at this image, how can we not worship with holy fear and awe? Gazing at God maintains our awe of God. We gaze at God through scripture. We gaze at God through prayer. And we gaze at God through singing and worship. We did this morning. That song, Follow Me, I hope we do it again before we leave. But we can see God in that. Uh, J.I. Parker wrote, I've experienced God's presence most powerfully in worship often during singing. I suppose because when we sing to him, we're looking hard at him in his direction. And then Steve Fuller writes about worship in his Desiring God blog. Yosemite Valley in California is one of the most beautiful places on the earth. To get there, you go through a tunnel which opens to an awesome view of an entire valley, El Capitan, half Dome, Cathedral Rock. And right there at the tunnel opening, there's a parking area where everyone has to get out of their cars. And you look out over the view saying, oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> now imagine you drive through that tunnel, but when you emerge, the other side, all you see is fog. No awesome view, just thick, gray, soupy fog. It's kind of like what happens when we're not feeling awe that leads to worship. The beauty of God is right in front of us, but blocking that view is a fog be a fog of unbelief, a fog of worries, pride, greed. If we just go through the motions and worship, then it's like, like getting out of the car in this parking lot, staring at the fog, going, ooh, ah, worse, I don't feel. Why do that? Because if we will wait on the Lord expectantly and we ask him to help us worship and set our hearts on his truth of who he is revealed in Jesus, revealed in scripture, it's just a matter of time before the wind of the spirit starts to blow. The fog starts to break up and we see the beauty of God revealed in Christ. And we gaze on him as we worship in awe. You are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words. 
wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. You can grasp your infinite wisdom. You can fathom the depth of your love. You are beautiful, beyond description, majesty, enthroned above. I stand, I stand in awe of you. I stand in awe of you, holy God, to whom all praise is due. I stand in awe. Let us pray. Lord, please help us not make you so common and ordinary that we take you for granted. Don't let your power and ability become common and ordinary to us. Help us to fight against this, making you commonplace. Help us to put aside all other priorities in order to gaze on you. Make us awestruck and eager to follow you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's prepare um, to come to the Lord's table with awe. And if we lost our awe, let's come expecting, asking, seeking the heart of God that he would make us awestruck. Let's gaze on the Lord through communion. As we come to the Lord's table today, we're reminded that when it comes to Jesus Christ, shallow familiarity and vain confidence will not do here. There's no place for it at this table. This table is for those of us who know him, who desire to know him. Uh, those of us who follow him or those of us who desire to follow him. Come to this table, gazing at who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Come with awe. Come to be awestruck. It's important that we remember the cost of his love for us because, again, we don't want communion to become commonplace, right? Because it is customary and we do it every week. And there's that danger of it becoming commonplace and we lose the awe of communion and the one who instituted it. So let's take a moment, take our time with this, and 
reflect on Christ's love for us, reflect on uh, sacrifice, repent of anything, loss of all of God or anything else that the Holy Spirit brings to your heart, ask to be forgiven and give thanks.